Youthscape podcast, a podcast for Christians who work with young people. Welcome to the second half of the final episode of this season that has 20 episodes. <gasps> Deep breath. It is the Youthscape podcast with me, Rachel Gardner, and my lovely friend, Martin Saunders. It's the last one, Martin. Oh, yeah. Some holiday after this. I, know, I feel like what we should have we do? Those, those school shirts where like, I get like Dave to write his name on it and you to oh, write it now. Yeah, we should it do kind that. Of End of term. <laughs> like just, just two names kind of defeats the whole <laughs> exercise, doesn't it? But it, it feels like that kind of moment, doesn't yeah, it? The finale. The grand finale. We're all a bit demop happy. We yeah. are a bit demop happy. So basically, those that tuned into the last episode uh, will, will realise that we didn't get through all of the tough questions that we wanted to look at. And we felt there were some really good ones that we still wanted to unpack with you, gentle listener. So David has been speaking. Yes, that's right. His dulcet tones. And he has been reading to us questions and we've been attempting to answer. Yes. Producer David, hello again. Hey, nice to be back. Um, we haven't really introduced you properly, have we? Should we do that in the sort of way that we should have done in the first episode? So you're the producer of uh, the Escape podcast, but that's mm. not your full-time, unbelievably, that's not your full-time job. It sometimes feels like it. <laughs> What's your actual job? I'm one of the senior youth workers as part of the local teams. I w- work with young people here in Luton, in schools, at our drop-in, in some of the faith development stuff we do with different youth groups across the town. Uh, yeah, I enjoy doing but that. But like Clark that. Kent, he becomes the podcast superman. You're an all-round amazing guy, aren't you? So so um, you have been reading out these questions. I mean, really, I'd love it if you want. He'd, he's got some great he answers He can answer now. them. He knows really, what he's talking I about. He does, absolutely. We'll turn the tables on this one. In the last episode, some of you might have been listening that actually I got a well done from David. Oh, you did get was, a well done. I was done. about to say something at the start and again it feels... Oh, it feels oh no, I've oh. ruined it again. Oh. Yeah, I guess I wanted to say at the start of this episode that we're unpacking some, some difficult topics and we have an idea where we want this conversation to go, but also we're going to let... Let some of it unpack it and unfold itself. And so if any of it feels a bit too much, feel free to, to duck it out at any point. Um, also, if you have any thoughts, any follow-up questions you've got for some of our answers, we admit we don't know everything. It's just yeah. a, a selection from some of our own experience and our own wisdom. Feel free to email us at podcast.youthscape.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but also, well done and thank you for sharing your and being vulnerable with the listeners on the last episode and what you're about to do, I'm sure, Fantastic. on this episode as well. That's two well done. Thanks, for me. Dave. What do you mean that's two well done well, to you? Two and one for you. So right. two for me and one for you. Got to catch up, Saunders. It's quite petty, Rachel. I know, but I know, but I'm I'm, I'm glad grabbing it. You Two are. gold stars. You are petty. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll kick off the before anything else. <laughs> Stop off. Um, I'm going to kick off with a question around the longevity of role within youth work. How do you deal with the itch of moving away? How do you deal with that thing that comes I mean, after a couple of years and you settle the novelty's worn off a little bit? How do you deal with not? finding something new or checking the back of the youth web magazine. I think this is a not unique to youth ministry. I think teachers have this as well. Do you reckon, but because yeah. you operate in academic years, mm. there's a very natural moving on point. You're almost being asked the question every year in a way that you're not in, you know, I don't really think about my job in terms of the academic year. It just seems, seems to just keep going. Um, but 
But if you are doing a job that, that has a defined term structure like that and a big summer break and you do a big end of term, might do some sort of end of term event or gathering uh, in June or July, and then you've got this big wait till September, it's all set up to make you think, oh, shall I? So this would be the break point. And because there is a break point, you then consider if there should be in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. I wonder if it's, um, this doesn't equate at all with the two to three year, which is a, a kind of anecdotal thing that we would all agree with. But I would say probably it's a seven year itch for me. It's like where you've seen a year, you've seen a group through, like you've seen them from coming into your youth ministry in year seven and they kind of age out. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a, a bit of that, that you, the tiredness of, oh, I've got to start again. And particularly if actually a lot of the investment has been on one particular social group of young people and then the thought of, oh my goodness, there'll be no young people left. I wonder if that's a point where people sometimes get, maybe not the itch so much as the kind of, I don't know if I can do it all again. So that's based on no evidence. That was just reflection really. In terms of solutions, I'm going to go somewhere a bit maverick here. Oh. And I think we'll come, we'll come back to this when we do a later question. So we're going to talk about side hustles a little bit. But I think one of the things that can help you not feel like you're in that very clear structure of academic years following group, specific groups of young people along is if you have some part of your week or some part of your life that is something else that's not youth ministry, but maybe is, you might call it work. So some sort of research project or writing project or innovation project, mm. something creative in some other part. I'm not really just talking about a hobby. I'm thinking about like something significant else that you are working on in the way that Google famously gave their employees Friday afternoons off. So everybody at Google had half a day off on Friday. And that's where we got things like Gmail. And I think Google Earth and like some of the biggest Google projects came out of the employees getting half a day off. And I wonder whether it's a, just a great general productivity rhythm for everybody to have that little one-tenth, one-twentieth of your week just having a go at something else. And whether in youth ministry that helps us not feel quite so just tied to, oh, it's just academic years because you've got this other thing going on all the way through. I guess I'm wondering as well in terms of the London Marathon was yesterday. I mean, marathons, you often, from what I understand, I've never run one, but from what I understand, you hit walls at various points yeah. that you mentally have to try and get through in order to complete the goal and run the race. Um, you guys have had a few years of youth ministry experience. How have you dealt with some of those walls when you've encountered them? Because I imagine this is me assuming mm. they've had them at some point. That's re that is really great. I don't know how I'd answer that actually. I think, I think I'm my experience of being a youth worker. I've was not married so um, for about ten years of being a youth worker and. And I didn't move because I felt I'd hit walls. It was more that I wanted to progress to the next kind of aspect of it. Um, but then having children, being sort of tied to an area that's not just about my job has probably changed how I feel about that. So I feel there's a longevity built into me for Blackburn that, that, that would be there even if I wasn't in this role. I feel like I'm not looking for anything else particularly, um, mm. maybe writing a book or something in the future, I don't know. So I think that that kind of longevity bit feels like it's a bit more in my bones now. Whereas mm. when I was sort of younger, probably I would have been a bit more like, ah, it's not really working, <laughs> I'll go somewhere else or find a more interesting job. Yeah, mm. how about you, Martin? Well, I think you and I both have quite atypical experiences of 
of, of yeah. youth of youth ministry. Yeah. I'm not sure we're the people to ask no, this question to. No. I'm going to ask it back to you in a second, David. Um, but I I do think if you're able to, if you're in a context where this is possible, having some sort of circuit breaker, whether that's quite a sabbatical or mm. just a bit of time to go away and think, it might not be months and months. Um, I think can be really helpful. Mm. Of course, the flip side of that is a lot of people come back from their sabbaticals and leave their jobs. But the opposite is also true as well. You can find the energy to um, go again. I think innovation is part of the answer, you know, of finding new ways of doing things, being able to take a step back, looking at what, how you work and how you have worked and asking, is the way that we've always done it still the best way? If I was starting afresh, would I um, would I do it this way? And sometimes that can tell you, no, I wouldn't. And to be honest, I can't be bothered to do it again. Sometimes that will infuse you with a whole round of new energy to go again for your context. But what do you think, David? Because you're actually a youth worker. Yeah, I guess for me, this comes down to some sense of vocation and calling. Like I, when often I've had moments where you're like, oh, is this, am I still in the right place? Like, am I still in the right place? Holding on to something like that, either something that's happened previously or checking in with God and finding out, are you, are you still calling me to this place right now, right here? Having some of that to hold on to when it feels tough or when it feels quiet or where it feels a bit difficult is really encouraging because it's, oh no, I'm here for this moment. I'm here for right now. I'm giving my, my best to this place, these people. Um, I also think just anecdotally in my own life, when... I've been in this role for almost six years now. And there's a point of maybe like year four where some of the the young people, I didn't really feel like there was an amazing connection. Like I've been there for four years and some of it wasn't really like, I don't know, clicking in the same level. And then for whatever reason, at year five, I think they suddenly clicked that I was going to be around for the long term. Oh, wow. And there was something different that wow. just dramatically, like wasn't atypical. Like it went almost exponential in terms of the relationship with them. And they were like, oh no, David is, he's one of our young youth workers. He's our, he's our guy. I, I caught them at one point. Someone else, one of my volunteers was telling them off for, for something. And they, uh, apparently they'd said to, oh no, only David can tell us off for this. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not yeah. yeah i wasn't sure that i mean it's not a great thing to be associated with but i also there was something about that that was really really nice in terms of um and a reminder that actually in the next who knows six months who knows what that relationship's going to where it's going to go to next and be able to journey alongside them for years is actually one of the greatest privileges i think i'm going to get to do as a youth worker I was just about to ramp up calling you to Blackburn until you landed that beautifully. I was like, oh, six uh, years. Oh, no, no, you're brilliant. Well done, David. We love Great it. Answer. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Martin. Appreciate it. Um, the next question is, and this one I think actually might, I might throw to you to Penchy, or you can throw it back to me to try and define, but how do you manage up? Often we're in, as youth workers, we're in scenarios where, um, not everyone has line management experience, yeah. the people who are leading us or leading volunteer teams. Um, and so how do we best create, maybe I'm defining it now, best create environments where we get to thrive and help the people mm. who are making some of those decisions. Um, so it goes both ways. Mm. I think it'd be great to hear from you, actually. I, I'd love to, could we start with you? How do you, how do you lead up? What would, have you had experience of working in churches too? So before you were part of Youthscape as well. Yeah. Had- yeah. I worked for, uh, I did a volunteer thing with a, a large church and then walked for, worked for a small church plant for, an, for a few years. And I think part of it is understanding yourself. I think yeah. that is partly understanding how you operate best. And the best example of this is uh, 
um, my old line manager's on maternity leave. And so we had the handover meeting recently and my current line manager asked me, how do you work best? And actually being able to identify and, and realize those things. I'm like, oh, I'm quite deadline orientated. All those kind of things really helped me to get the best out of myself. So understanding myself would probably be one of the first things. Um, being honest and open, I think is the second thing. And, and meeting regularly, I think. Mm. I think sometimes if those periods of time quite a lot can bubble and brew mm. if you just and stew if you just if it's like months go by before you next see them or if they're too busy to chat to you and mm. um yeah i think that'd probably be the first few things i'd oh, say that's brilliant i've i've had experience of um both being really poorly line managed and being brilliantly line managed and, and learning a lot from that and taking it now. I'm a line manager. Let's talk about that, Rachel. Workers. Well, I wasn't thinking, I mean, you're my line manager yeah. now and you're fabulous. Um, uh, but I think there's, I, I manage um, three members of staff um, at, at the church and, and they're all very different. And I would say that my style of leading and working works really well for two of them and not for the other one. And so the other one has really had to lie, manage up to me and really say, no, that's not working, which is not on them. That should be on me. I should be saying, what's your way of working? What can I do? But I think what I've really appreciated is that they, once we clocked that, that I wouldn't be a natural fit for them, that I've said, I'll, I'll try and line manage you in the way that you'd like to be. Can you also keep telling me what works and what doesn't? And we've kind of come to that agreement. So when this person then sends, says, can we get all the dates in the diary for this term? And it needs to be the same time every week because that's what I like. I'm, I'm ready for that. I know that. It doesn't feel like a criticism. I think the, the challenge is as a church leader is that sometimes as a church leader, you you are thinking about a billion different things. And so is your, a youth worker, of course, but but it's not because you don't care about your team. So I think if the, li if the leading up is, you don't care about me, this is terrible, all churches are horrible. And you know, I, I think leaders then become really defensive and we shouldn't do, but we become defensive. Whereas if the leading up is, actually, I, I'm self-aware. I know how actually, I've got some ideas and could, could we think about this for this term? I, I would say a church leader worth their salt should say, great, yes. A little bit of a hack for this. So um, most church leaders aren't control freaks. They're not, they're not total control freaks, even though that is the stereotype. Mm. That's like the, that's the joke, isn't it? Mm. The joke is that church leaders generally are control freaks. I think most church leaders you know, and I'm talking most as in genuinely the whole sweep of the country are under-resourced, often on their own and facing a stark reality where they're basically, the buck stops with them on everything. And in the midst of that, what they, what they really struggle with is a poverty of information. So when they don't know what's going on, sometimes they can assume the worst. And so I think sometimes the way that we butt up against vicars, pastors, ministers, um, it is because they don't feel like they're in the picture. And so their assumption is, oh my goodness, because they, because they are often let down because they often find the buck stops with them and they're taking responsibility for things that weren't their, their fault. The kind of the starting point is, oh my goodness, I'm being kept in the dark because something's wrong. And so I, so the hack is oversaturate your leader mm, with information. Great, totally like, agree. Just give them more reporting and information. Tell them more stories. Tell them more things about what mm. what's going on in your youth work than they even want. <laughs> and actually, they'll they'll start to trust you much more. Now, I'm not I'm not sure if that's entirely like I'm not sure if it's entirely integrous, but I think it. I think what's the worst that can happen is your 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 church leader just knows a lot about the young people. 
But also, I guess, extend the, extend the invitation, right? Like, it's great for, for Vickers if they do have any free time, yeah. which is obviously Unusual. pretty minimal. Yeah. But for them to walk past and feel included in a game or whatever you're doing or get to know some of the young people and get to see some of what you're doing in action yeah. helps them to feel like they understand more Absolutely. when you come to with that communication, when you come with that information. Sometimes we are trying to keep our leaders in the dark. Sometimes we are kind of hoping they don't notice what we're up to. <laughs> He's oh, just better sorry. To, yeah, better yeah. apologise than ask permission. Yeah, exactly. So we need to own that. Uh, we alluded to it earlier, but the, the next question is around money. Uh, in a different job, a previous line manager told me once that, or used to regularly encourage me that we don't do what we do because it's well paid or anything like that. We could get more money and have less stress if we worked at McDonald's than if we did youth ministry. And so I guess the question is around, we don't, obviously don't do it for the money, but how do we handle some of those difficult conversations about money when that is the thing we need to live, mm. to provide, to yeah, sustain a normal life when we've mm. got responsibilities elsewhere? And it's got to be one of the reasons why we're seeing a decline in, yes. in youth workers yeah. because uh, the starting salary isn't great and then you've got very yeah. limited career prospects. And if you want to have a family and own a home and things like that, the, the, the salary in youth ministry, the general salary just isn't enough, is it? Um, and, and so you're being asked to be on a staff team where you might have members of staff where housing provided and quite a generous sum of money each month. And you're being asked to do the, the, the sort of, not the same job, but a, a, a very involved and important job for for essentially much less money and that's hard that can create resentment in teams as well mm. it is a tricky one and, and i i guess for some churches many churches it's grant money or funding applications or it's money that's ring fenced for a period of time isn't it mm -hmm. so churches will either fall down the category of we want every 15 minutes to know exactly what you're doing because we you know we're going to be judged on numbers and and they've got you know church leaders are protecting their team from from feeling that they're just churning out the numbers but they're at some point somebody has to say to a funder this yeah. is what we're doing and so actually not feeling like you want to do much youth work this week. Oh no, that's great, but uh, we know there's. So I think there's there's that picture, isn't there? Um, and and the decline in in church giving as well, and particularly if you're working in deprived communities or you're working with churches that are really prioritising young people who don't tithe. So that, that's the irony, isn't it? Churches that have like large numbers of young people might also have really small tithing. So it is it is complex. There's not a never ending source of of money, and I. And I think as well, one thing I've learned since being a church planter of a church that is well financially resourced, I'm very, very grateful for that. And I realize how unique that is, is that you have a grant, you have grant funding, but you can't just move that money around. It is ring fence for very specific things. And that's challenging then because you can't then say, well, actually, that, I want to move this to have a different kind of employment and different kind of worker and different kind of that. The, the church leaders often as, as kind of, tied as the workers are you know it's not the church leader saying actually i'm not going to release that money it isn't that it's that they've not actually got access to it or it doesn't come into their bank account to pay their staff until that month so so it is it is tricky it's a big picture and i don't i don't know what the answer is i mean one answer is that we see our youth workers as more senior leaders in churches than we currently do. And if we did, we would provide more housing. We would provide more incentives. We would provide more opportunities because we'd say they are key ministers in our church. And unless we do that, mm -hmm. we're not going to solve this really. We need to talk about it a bit more. 
I always find, you know, in churches, in the ministry community, mm. you know, this is not a conversation that really people have in the open. You know, mm. it's very, it's sort of implied. Yeah. It's slightly in the background. You know, we all know we're slightly struggling with, with money, um, but we don't talk about it. The other thing that just strikes me, and I said I might mention this, is I wonder whether we could, churches could make provision for um, youth workers to have some kind of side hustle, you know, pay them basically the, the same salary, but require less hours of them so that they can actually earn some more money elsewhere. Um, then that money isn't coming out of the church coffers, um, but it does enable, you know, the person to be there longer term. Now, the, the problem is I can, I, can, I can hear PCCs and treasurers around the land going, that's ridiculous. You're paying more money for, the, for less hours or the same money for less hours. But what we want to break here is a cycle of, like mm. you said, two to three years, you know, and then I'm out because I can't afford it anymore. No career progression. I can't stay in youth ministry. People who are passionate, called by God to, to serve a group of, of people, but can't stay because the money's just not good mm. enough. And that's that's the reality of what we're doing. We've got to find creative solutions. I think as well, so, I mean, this is not just a Church of England issue. This has been cut across all churches. But, you know, I'm not saying churches are bad managers of money as if there's some, some illicit dealings happening regularly, not at all. But I think actually to manage money well requires real skill. And, and it's not always a skill set that a little church in a rural community or in an urban community will have that kind of skill set to be able to think creatively about finances. And I'm seeing increasingly churches having a go at employing a paid worker. It doesn't work out for whatever reason, probably largely to do with the church's management. And then thinking, we'll get someone for a session hours. And actually, you get a youth group once a week and it's 10 hours a week. Mm. And actually that that was better than what we had before. So I think there's there's lots of things here that are just, oh, just work against. It's a downward spiral, isn't it? Mm. It's it's tough. So, yes. Oh, I feel like we are ending somewhere quite negatively. Quick, next question. Make it a fun one, a sassy okay. one. It's cool. <laughs> a tough one. How do you handle difficult parents? Oh, that's a good one. Well, that's not fun. <laughs> Handled it. Uh, do you do think you want, do you want to switch up for a well, fun no, one? Are you a difficult parent? Because I feel <sighs> like I could potentially be a difficult parent. <laughs> I think difficult parent also extends in a few different ways. I think there's mm. one in terms of difficult parents that are overbearing, mm, or who have, who have very opinionated yes. about the youth ministry that's happening. Yes. And there's also yeah. challenging parents who are just disconnected, yeah. disconnected, absent, mm. really quite aggressive potentially. All those yeah. kinds of. Um, different ends of the scale of ones who are really in favor of the youth ministry, but don't always yeah. have the best way of showing it. And ones who yeah. are really not a against it. And then it. parents who, when they were teenagers were so badly bullied in school mm. that actually they struggle to see the young people in the church outside of the lens of they're bullying me. And so that's another challenging one where adults talk to young people on a on a level and want to front up to them and challenge them there's yeah complex levels what you're really saying is all parents are difficult parents um, <laughs> and if you've read enough parents be fine i wouldn't dare to say that <laughs> parents but, are great i mean again you know sorry to sound like the oldest people in the world but you know i i, I remember what it was like dealing with parents. And I was only a volunteer at the time, but I remember relating to parents when I was 25 in youth ministry. It's very different. I, at 45, did you do a seminar on parenting? At 45, <laughs> I probably did a seminar at Spring Harvest. At 45, I'm older than some of the parents mm. in my youth group. So there's a very different kind of conversation going on. Mm. Um, and I think, I think generally speaking, parents 
are a little bit, most parents are a little bit anxious about their young person's development, their young person's faith. They feel out of their depth. Whereas most pe people, parents, again, generalizing, they feel like they've kind, they kind of understand children. They can, you can kind of understand the world of the child. Suddenly, they change in all these hormone-inflicted ways that you weren't expecting. Nobody feels like an expert parent of teenagers, le least of all me, by the way. Mm -hmm. I've got three of them now, and it's terrifying. All the good experience, good practice, everything I've ever read goes out the window, and you've got real-life teenagers in your home. But, um, but I think so most parents are coming to you actually feeling a bit out of their depth, and they're proje sometimes projecting their anxiety onto you. So it's trying to understand those roots issues and then seeing if you can provide something alongside all the brilliant stuff you're doing for young people. Is there something you can provide that addresses those anxieties? So, for example, you know, we, I mean, Youthscapes um, pioneered a bit of this, but, you know, the the idea of providing seminars or, or stuff around how to talk to young people about sex or self-harm or other areas of mental health Um that's often a massive felt need for parents and they're just not finding a way of expressing to you that these are the things they're anxious about. What would you say is the best way to win parents over? Do you mm -hmm. think it is like providing those seminars and things? Or is there any like, what, what tips would you give to oh, value them? Yeah, starting no, out? I'm the same as you. When I was a 20-something youth worker, I was like, oh, life would be great if there's no parents around. They're just there to sign a consent form. So I would like bridge the gap to get a signature on the bottom of the bit of paper. Terrible attitude. And it was my own nervousness. Mm. It is seeing the parent as you are working in partnership with the parent. Now, there'll be some parents where that partnership is with you know, safe distance and other other parents where actually you can really help them see that their role in their young person's life is important and you value that and you see that so I think it is treating the parents as as the key person in the young person's life you, as a youth worker I'm with these young people five hours max a week they're they're in the same vicinity even if the kids are online for a lot of time they've nurtured them loved them their love language might be a certain way because of what their own upbringing i'm not going to make judgments on whether they care for their child um obviously safeguarding is vital but i think just treat the parent as the hero so i will probably once if not twice a month will have parents storm down to the drop-in absolutely loggerheads with each other because of something they've heard has happened at the drop-in. And so they both jump to their kid's defense and want it out. And so I, being the oldest and ugliest in the room, tend to be the one that ends up with them. And my default is, thank you for bringing it here. So I'm going to listen to both of you because actually what the three of us care about is our young people here yeah. on the mm -hmm. estate. So I want to hear you. And, and, and in our area, it's sort of helping the parents not to become violent with each other and for the kids to see that's how you work stuff out. But I found that honoring the parent, but also being very robust. So I'll, I'll speak in a very adult voice. I'll level with them. So thank you for doing this because actually the alternative is that actually young people see that we don't resolve this and that's not good. So well done. So I'm, I'm speaking with a very strong voice, but I'm really affirming them as I speak. There'll be other parents that I'd be very comforting with and pastoral, but I think you match your voice and your body language to what the, the parent is bringing, recognizing that they are the one that's responsible for this child. So we're not taking responsibility either. Sorry, you're both looking and you're looking at your watch. I'll stop talking. No, no, I was going to say how much I loved that answer. Oh, I loved you? that answer. Oh, thank you. That was great. And I, I think what it reminds me as well is that in our heads, sometimes we, we think of ourselves as the, pastor oh. to this young person. 
that we are the pastoral oversight yeah, for their no lives <laughs> and no one else cares for them. Whereas it's interesting to flip it, of course, from a parental point of view, you know, you write to them about your youth group or whatever, but really you're just the person who runs the youth club at the church on Wednesday. You know, that's, that's you're just that guy who runs the youth club. You're not my child's pastor. They don't see you like that. Mm. So I think it's really important to get that in perspective. It won't always be the case. There'll be some parents who do see it from that perspective. The, the key piece of advice I would give is communication is everything. Mm -hmm. So again, just, just like with the previous question, we were talking about church leaders, uh, parents get nervous when they're in the dark, right? They, they would get anxious when they feel they're not being kept informed of what's going on. So it is, it's always that extra job on top of all the other things that you've had to do but to try and write regularly, if you can, if you have, you know, communicate, if you have a, a group of parents who actually read their emails, of course, you might not have, um, but trying to make the effort to communicate as much as possible, simply, briefly, briefly, because remember how many emails mm. parents get from different, from school, from yeah. school and from other clubs. So very briefly, there's probably an art to how you even write those emails as well in terms of just like getting the first, all the points out in the first two sentences, bolding the right words, that sort of stuff. Um, but if you do that, then I think you stand yourself in the best, the best chance of, of building a positive relationship with parents. Yeah, great, I love that. Um, can I be, yes. can I just stick with, oh yes, come on! That, that landed that was awesome this is not to add to you Martin but I think sometimes I've been guilty of contributing to a young person's narrative that their parent is not a good parent when I've not really fully understood a situation and just taken on face value a young person saying my mum hates me always fighting I've gone oh and 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 I'm, I'm learning to have full empathy and trust a young person but also think unless I have any clues to the otherwise, how can I help? How can I also honor this parent within this conversation? There will be parents that, you know, are not say, you know, there's, there's other times, of course, of course, of course. But actually I think it's really important that, so for example, my lovely teenage girl, I'm sure at some time she'll, she'll tell somebody something that I've, and I would love it if that youth worker went, I really hear you and I really trust you. Let's talk more. But they also would want to think, I know your mum loves you and how can I help you talk to your mum about that rather than inflate, oh, oh, oh no, she can't talk to her mum about anything. Like those little yeah, conversations yeah. that we have that's as a team. Really and I think, so how do we, we that's quite a, a clever dance, isn't it? Yeah. To keep young people safe, but also to honour the parent who is the legal guardian and is responsible. Like they're responsible for them. So, mm. For this next question, I guess I'm proposing a scenario. So imagine you're in a church. Can you role play? Can you role play? <laughs> Don't know what it is yet. <laughs> yeah, maybe hold that thought. Um, <laughs> oh, no. no, you're in a scenario where you've you've got a church that is already doing youth work. You are the youth worker. You've just done an announcement at the front of church. You've told a story from a young person about how much youth work is changing their life. And you're doing the call for volunteers. Mm -hmm. And then after the service, a, an ex-young person, someone who's not long out of the youth ministry, comes up to you and says, hey, I want to be, get involved. Mm. What do you say? How do you know when as someone who was part of the youth ministry is ready to go back as a volunteer and, have, oh. and change the role? Is it a time-dependent thing? Is it like a maturity thing? What would, mm. you, what would you say in that scenario? I mean, I, I think you bite their hand. I, I, was thinking that I, I mean, don't it. actually bite your hand off. But you... Um, <laughs> 
you absolutely want to encourage that. The question is what degree of responsibility you give them mm. and how you present them to the young people. So I think if you've got someone who's literally just 19, I mean, there are there are very mature young people who everyone just knows they're basically a leader already, you know. But I think in most cases, you probably want to preface that with, you know, junior junior leader or a helper or just helping out. You, know, you can find a form of words that works for your context. But as a rule, I'd be like, yes, absolutely. Every when, day when ending can in I a get you DPS'd? <laughs> in fact, it happened to me last night. Yeah. And I got so excited. I think I scared her off. Oh, <laughs> that's brilliant. I was, as you were speaking, I was thinking of some sort of peer leaders, young leaders that we have. And, and I mean, you, this is harking back to not every young person is a Timothy, but it, it is interesting that young people that do often have real leadership traits are often the most complicated young people or you, you think it's going well for a few weeks and they're doing the catering you know, in the kitchen the catering is going so brilliantly and then week number five you hear they've just kind of slam dunk somebody in the football cage you've been really mean to somebody you're just like ah. so um because often it is that kind of exuberance or yeah. the lead. so i think um yeah my, i would be the same jump at it and then i i love the thing of um I do, you watch, we talk, mm. you do, I watch, we talk, you do, you know, I, that, that kind of getting the culture going. Cause I think, I think the thing that is probably the most challenging and I've noticed this more with people who do like the gap year type program and then want to come on to be volunteering youth workers, but maybe they're at university or they've got a local job is what's more complex is where they go from having a lot of time with you to actually only seeing you now mm. in a youth work context where your focus is not them. Mm. It's a group of young people. So you have to iron out. They might not be fully aware that's what their expectation mm. is, but you have to iron out those expectations. And so when you come on a Tuesday evening, we'll have a 20 minute brief at the beginning and then this will be what you'll be doing. And at the end, we'll have a chat again. But actually during the session, I'm going to be focused over here. You're going to be focused there. And I think had I done that a bit more with some people in the past, that would have been more helpful. I hadn't clocked that them joining the youth group is actually them wanting to be with me or wanting to be with you. Well, yeah. And and of course, we. I just talked about the sort of dream scenario there of a brilliant young person who, you know, was basically a junior leader all the way through from about 15 who just, just asked to rejoin the youth group as a leader. That's brilliant. Often, though, it will be young people who don't have a uh, leadership gifting that you have discerned as yet mm. and might even be one of those difficult young people that we talked about um, previously um, who you found it quite hard to get on with. And they're asking, can they come and volunteer? And that's a completely different thing, but it, but it shouldn't be mm. because actually, you know, you should be able to create a, a, mm. the right role and find the patience to, Just take, more work, to yeah. take them as well. But you do need to recognize that all of this, mm. all, every volunteer recruitment requires an investment of time and effort yeah. and energy from you. Tell you what I find more, even more complicated than that is if then that, let's follow that scenario of that young person, gosh, we're going, we're going um, real. People are going to be like, <laughs> you feel free to judge me being Martin on this stuff. But um, so that is a young person who's, was quite challenging as a young person. Mm. And we wouldn't think, oh, actually that I would have, I would have, you know, you wouldn't think they've got a real heart to raise up by the young leaders. And they come for a few weeks and say, I really, I want to be a youth worker. That's yeah. why. And yeah. I'm doing this. And I find that trajectory really difficult. Yes. I just think it's not that it's not my job to say to you, no, God's not called you to be a mm. youth worker. But actually at the moment, 
if I just keep saying, oh, great, brilliant. Yeah, mm. that's that's being dishonest with mm. you. But I but you but I don't know how to, to say that. So I think those are really the ones that I find quite tricky when it's they want to get involved. And also they think this is where they're going in the trajectory. And partly because I don't know that there are other jobs anyway, but also because I'm not sure that it, that actually that will be something for you. Um, so these are these are complex, aren't they? Mm. But because we've invested so much in them as a young person, of course, they want to be with us and want to do what we do. Um, that's understandable. And look at us. What are we anyway? <laughs> Unfortunately, we, we don't see the same amount of youth ministers being trained at the moment mm. as maybe we once did. And then the question kind of rises from that when what happens when a cohort finishes and not everyone wants to yeah. go and pursue youth ministry yeah. afterwards? How do you, what would you say to that? How would you handle that? What would you would you say to those finishing training or potentially going into training? Because the training is so excellent. I just think. It was I mean, so nice, you, Rachel. No, but you've been, th- you've been through, you know, I, I would say that probably the quality of the training in terms of like, you know, what you're learning is probably the best it's ever been, I imagine. And yet less people are going through it. And those that are going through it are coming out often saying, I'm just not sure I want to do this or do this in church like I scratch my head really I find that just really complicated I don't know what I don't know what to do with it really. I mean, you're very kind I mean I, I would shake them let, really. me, <laughs> let me be more unkind I imagine those in the who are asking the question at the moment within the training environment are asking what is it that we are doing yes that is contributing to this so I I think you're right the training stuff there, is yeah. excellent yeah but I I wonder whether there are some things that do need to change mm. I, don't, I don't know what those no, are no I don't I've not I, been to I the training so bold but um but I imagine they're probably I wonder whether we got too wedded to certain models of training so you know the three-year degree yeah the, it was the JNC was you know king um you know whether we need quite the same kind of training anymore i don't know um feels like the world of further and higher education is changing at the moment Mm. and and young people are coming out of school and not necessarily sure that they want to go into uh higher or further education anymore in a way that they might have done even 10 years ago does that then open up new possibilities for what kinds of courses can emerge and what might be seen as an acceptable level of training and um, development? And, and imagine if like the mainstream denominations really got behind people that have gone through that level of training and said, actually, mm. one of the things that you come out of that and then we resource you and you go off and you have t- five to 10 years with a big team and go and launch something exciting that puts young people at the center of it. You can call it church if you want to, you can plant a church, you can do do it as a kind of a mission or group. But if we actually didn't then try to, to, to shoehorn these qualified, you know, recruits into a church structure and model that is, it's just set them up, sets them up to fail. You know, we're basically just rock up, you know, we want me to do something on a Sunday morning and then do some stuff during the week. I just think if you're going to put that amount of investment in people, then at the end of it, let's launch them into something. Let's give them an, a kick-ass ops manager a bit of a team and say, does it be exciting to see what what innovation comes from mm. this? Launch them into something strong. I mean, I, I think people's eyes would light up. I think that'd be really fun, really dynamic, really great. We get some interesting stuff going. Put young people at the heart of this. Release them from, you know. Let's just see. But but that's not what happens. Is that we we do this training separate, as you say, and then it's up to them to find a role and then to. You know, a church that haven't defined their expectations mm. crush this person into. So I don't know, but I, I would like to see some 
centers of excellence just launching up all over the place with a lot of room to fail and a lot of funding for goodness sake there is money out there for goodness sake of course there is let's just get it in the right direction can i ask you my own personal tough question though this is really quite we've got we've got to the end and i'm like i'm going to ask the toughest question of the whole season and it's and i think i'm going to ask you this because we're actually genuinely friends um so uh gosh you're wondering what i'm going to ask you now So, so your church context, this amazing experimental young people at the center, kind of uh, whatever you call, I don't even know what you call it. Just like. Well, it's, it's just a, it's a church plant, but it, young people are our focus. Yeah. So you've just outlined, you know, the potential that we could boldly go for that in lots of different areas. But I wonder to what degree that works because you're there. You know, to what degree does St. Luke's Blackburn, and, and this is a really tough question. I realize mm. how tough it is. I'm going to turn it on myself in a second. Mm. You know, to what degree is it possible to do that if you don't have a, in football, we'd call them a generational talent, David. You know that that phrase? Uh, but, you know, somebody who just has extraordinary gifting to the point that they have done all the things that you've done, you know, and I, and I, you know, I asked the question of my own mm. youth work. You know, we've been successful, but we are being led by someone who has done 20 something years mm. of reading, thinking, speaking, writing about youth ministry and knows what hopefully these two episodes have proved, you know, we know what we're talking about. Mm. And so the question is, how do, how do we do these things? How do we create these, the, the massive growth that mm. lots of areas of the churches look, church are looking for at the moment? When we don't have lots of really kind of like star player individuals who can come in and lead them. Well, that's very, very kind of you. I would first of all say on paper, we're not that successful, but we're growing. So I would say that we're not mushrooming or anything like that. We are very steady growth and it's a Mm. very tough context. And I would say that on a day-to-day basis, my strength on the ground is not what I know about youth work. It's my deep enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And so of course there can be enthusiasm, which is like when I was 20 and didn't know anything and let's all do this. Whereas now I'm in my forties and I know a little bit more. So I know where I'm leading people, but it is, it is brute enthusiasm. Like this has got to make a difference. But I do believe, I do think that we've wedded ourselves to structures so much that we've forgotten how vital the right leaders are. And I, and I love Bishop Philip North talks about the, um, double engine, the twin engines, that the prayer and leaders, if you get, and this is not like getting the right people on the bus and kicking everyone off, it's off. It's not that. It's if you have leaders and you have that dynamism of prayer and then you resource that, you say, where is, either where is God already doing something incredible and let's resource those leaders or where are their leaders that are carrying something or have got an exciting idea and, but, and let's resource it. I, I do, I really do feel I really do feel that now is the time for that. I, I, I feel that when I'm when I meet a denomination or an organisation that that spend a lot of their time in rooms talking deep strategy and mm. running yet more conferences on evangelism and all these, you know, as much as actually I do love a good spreadsheet and I do love a good strategy document, that tells me that they're managing decline. Mm. When I'm with a bunch of people that are like, we've got some ideas and we've got like a basic blueprint, but actually we're going to learn on the streets. I think I would, if I had billions of pounds, I'd put all my money there because I think mm. that's, 
that's the pioneering. But put some good innovators around them, good, good some business brains around them, some ops managers. So my little thing to our bishops in Blackburn Diocese recently was, if we want to get some great youth ministry across Blackburn Diocese, of course, it is about youth ministers. Of course, it's about excellent operation directors. Mm. Imagine if we had 10 excellent ops managers come into an area to resource clergy and resource lay leaders and resource volunteer youth workers and paid workers, people that can actually. So I think we do need to think differently about some of these things. Mm. Um, I'm waffling that a little bit. No, but you're I, not. You're not, because I think what you're identifying there is there is a specific skill set maybe you have, but it's not unattainable. No, no, no. Lots no. of people have enthusiasm yeah. and resilience, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm not running. I'm, I'm, if you came to St. Luke's and saw what we did with young people, it's 1990s. Mm. We have toast and we have a pool table and we kick the football around and we burn things on bits of paper in fires and we spend oodles of time together. Like mm. it, is, I, it is so uninnovative, it's unreal. Mm. Where the innovation is, I think, is that we say actually really elderly people have a part to play and we are going to keep Jesus at the very centre of this and just keep allowing him to do something dramatic in and through us. Um, and, and we want a team around us that are willing to be dangerous with mm. that, not with people, mm. but to, yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. It, yeah. Unmeted enthusiasm, resilience, operations, not necessarily 25 years of youth ministry no. brain. No. And sometimes Jason sometimes says to me, Rachel, imagine if we all didn't, weren't paid for this anymore. We all just worked in McDonald's or Costa. He said, I think we could still do this. And, and I'm sometimes like, I say, I think we could, I think it'd be different, but I think it's quite good to just keep touch of that comment. Mm. Because if we mm. can only do this because we have money, then we're probably not doing it right. But if we're saying there's something that the finance can resource Brothers. So, I mean, I, I appreciate people listening to this will, will hear, you know, they might be throwing things at your phone right now because it's hard. It's always hard to hear when someone's talking about, and, and I'm part of a network where people feel quite strongly for or not for um, what we're about. But it is that resourcing element that this is not money that's taken from other churches to give to one church. This is, this is seeking to say, what would it look like to innovate something here that then models come out of this to encourage the rest of us? Mm. If, if 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 a church in a, on a really deprived estate in Blackburn can reach young people and do it as a, all ages, all of us in together, there'll be some models that'll come out of that that, that might have traction for other communities like that. Mm. And I'm very privilegedly part of that. I'm grateful that you answered the question. Thank you. I, I realise it was tough. David. Thanks so much for your honesty and vulnerability, both of you. As we round up this season of tough questions, what have been some highlights? What have been some things that have made you think? And how have you found digging into some really tough questions in youth ministry? Haven't you found that um, our guests have loved answering the questions? Yes. Like they just sort of <laughs> relish the question. Yeah. I've also never seen guests put so much effort into like researching and writing their, you know, in every single person, every single person we interviewed were like, that's great. Could you give me some questions in advance so I can think about it? <laughs> we don't normally get asked that, do we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I think we saw some incredible vulnerability. Mm. Um, I can think of a few people earlier, I'm not going to name them, earlier on in the season who were very vulnerable to the point of tears mm. um, in sharing their stories. And that's really precious. And we don't take that lightly. 
Um, I think we had some really mature grown-up conversation. I think about the conversation with Gareth Cheeseman um, where we talked about sex and the future. And, uh, you know, we, we, we pretty much went there with some mm. stuff that you, you often wouldn't. Um, so I'm, I'm proud that we've... You know, I'm proud that we've gone there this season. Mm. It's been it's been good, and and I'm glad we gave it the room to breathe. This is really you, David, sort of urging us to do 20 episodes yeah. instead of our usual what six or eight or something. <laughs> yeah. No, I I think and I think you and I have relished it, haven't we? I think we've relished being able to talk about the real stuff, and it's not that you know models and of youth ministry and different organisations aren't important, and we will we'll go back to you know picking people's brains about what they're learning and doing and the research, but. I think increasingly on the ground, what what makes stuff tough or possible are actually quite simple, quite simple struggles that are probably more universal than we think. And probably are similar to what youth workers were experiencing in the 1960s. I mean, they might not have been paid youth workers or the youth worker role, but what churches have often experienced, how do you pastor emerging generations that you know in, in each different generation and all that's going on so i think those things are pretty timeless actually but there's something about understanding having a thick description as um i read once in a book a thick description of what what's going on for young people is quite important for us i often think of of us in the youth ministry community as um you know, like those, it feels like a negative picture, but those jackets where people have like, you know, like all your things in your jacket, like pens and you've got a set of conker and some string. And I often think of youth workers as, as wearing clothes that have lots of pockets and lots of things in it. And because you never know what you're about to meet and you never know what conversation you're about to go in and you never know what's about to go down, but you just need to have about yourself, in your mm. heart, in your soul, in your mind, in your bones, something not to kind of make it better and to solve the day but to to bring something different to the pot mm. um and that requires a lot of in you know self-reflection a lot of thinking a lot of dismantling ideas a lot of challenging our ego a lot of fun we're exhausted often as youth workers and what gives us our strength is the is the joy of the lord and that's not a kind of an abstract get yourself in a positive thinking it is like the, the joy of seeing jesus do something lovely and world changing these young people's lives that 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 is my strength that's mm. what means i can turn up so i think i I've lo i feel like i feel like we've touched lots of stuff that mm. will, will help our community yeah feel armed and equipped yeah i love that rachel and you know you were talking about that sort of jacket with a pen and a a pad of paper and a, and a conker in it. And and I have no what idea era? what you're talking what about. Who, who has a jacket with a conker in the pocket and a paper and a pen? What are you talking about? Since uh, I've always had lip balms and lipsticks in my pockets. Right. Then since being a mummy, I also get like random things. And then having a dog, I have oh, poo, bags. poo bags. So I always have like a bit of string, a sweet, a lip balm and a poo bag in my wow. pocket. So. What, what an insight. <laughs> to close this season of the Escape podcast. Dog Talk's back. Dog Talk makes a brief return right in the finale. Oh. Just popping up. Love that. Like Luke Skywalker. Oh. 
Um, so, um, look, this has been an amazing season. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've had a chance to catch some of the episodes we talked. If not, I think it, it's not, it doesn't go anywhere, so you can go back and listen at your leisure uh, to all 20. Um, but it has been an absolute joy. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have enjoyed or, or indeed hated uh, this season of the Youthscape podcast, get in touch with us. Podcast at youthscape.co.uk is our email address. You can find us on social media uh, at Youthscape, or I think we might have an at Youthscape podcast as well on Instagram. Um, so we'd love to hear from you there. Um, and, and of course, please do, if you like us, please do review us. It really does help uh, on your favorite podcast platform. But this has been a dream, Rachel. Thank you. Thank for, you. For, for being on this journey with me. Thank you. You conquer. <laughs> I'm looking forward to our next season, which is Dog Talk. Dog Talk. <laughs> dog talk. We'll hope to see you at Satellites in the Summer. Yes. Uh, or get your tickets for yes. National Youth Ministry Weekend, the title of which, Rachel, is... Only God knows what's going into the future. No, only God knows. God knows what. What now? Only God knows what's next. Only God knows what's going down. Only God, so far, yes, knows. What is it? Only God knows what we're going into. What? Into God knows what. And the title of the National Youth Directors <laughs> Retreat, National Love Love. <laughs> and the title of the National Youth Retreat Weekend is Into God Knows What. Goodbye. myself and my lovely friend Martin Saunders who I have on very good authority I've been told you were showing your pants to David in the break oh this is all this is all what was going on out there so we were discussing the idea of doing a cliffhanger ending on the last episode and which we didn't really which we didn't really do (laughs) failed but uh, had I done it, yeah. we would have. Uh, I could have. I could have told you I was wearing extraordinary underpants. Ooh. And of course, I'm not going to show them to you. Okay. But I did just, in a wholly appropriate way, in public, in public, <laughs> slightly demonstrate a small portion of the underpants of the rim of the to, underpants. <laughs> You can't say rim. No, I can't say rim. Sorry, the one I meant the waist. Oh, the waistband. Chalk this up to the one that never sees the light of day. Shall I start at the beginning? Ah, I think so. I think that's best. Okay. Then maybe steer clear of the. Let's just leave the underpants. Yeah. Oh, leave the underpants altogether. Don't want underpants at all. Well, I mean, it's funny. Isn't it? <laughs>